When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Give your kitchen the upgrade it deserves with Clearview Cabinetry. Clearview Cabinetry starts as a kitchen built for now and grows with you as life changes. It's flexible by design with full access cabinet construction. So you can go from doors to drawers for storage that works when you need it. Get an appointment-free design consultation and explore all our cabinet options on display in our kitchen showroom. And save big money now at Menards. Save big money at Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I enjoy going to see live music so, so, so much, but I always would rather be playing it just because that's what ignites me. Now at this point, it's just like that is, I've been so lucky to still be in the game. Like, you know, I really, I think of myself as like when you play blackjack or something. For me, it's like, how long can you stay at the table? You know, it's and for me, I'm a total just junkie for this. I just keep on like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm still in the game. I still have a gig. Like, wow. You know what I mean? Every time I look at the calendar and there are more gigs, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you're still in it. I don't know. It's really, it's just a, a love of the game, you know, and a love of the feeling of being up there and performing for people, which I mean. You know. Welcome to Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode, we talk to upcoming bass superstar Karina Reitman about her passion for live music, the grueling road of touring, and why Feel Good Inc. is a 10 out of 10. Grab your earplugs as we drop some bass bombs. So I am here with Karina Reitman, and we're going to be talking a lot about live music today. I'm so pumped to have you on the show. Karina, how are you today? Oh my God, I'm fabulous. It's really an honor to be here and I'm so glad that we are shooting the shit. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I appreciate it. So you just got done with the tour fairly recently, correct? I did. I literally, I got back on, uh, you know, late Sunday night. We're recording this on a Tuesday, on a Thursday rather. And uh, yeah, I slept for 16 hours on Sunday night. So I'm just, oh, the, wow. Yeah, I've been definitely recovering in all the best ways. And uh, it's amazing to be home. And it's, you know, I'm still, you know, my mind is boggled by everything that happened on this tour. It's just was overwhelmingly positive and insane for me so yeah i'm uh i'm home now but had a hell of a run out there for sure well i've been listening to your burlington show and it is just absolutely fire start to finish incredible crowd energy can you how was that show did you i mean that one's released officially how was that show thank you so much it had to have been good oh my god yeah no i mean that was that was one of the i mean shit <laughs> being like being <laughs> there being there was one of like just i don't know to me it was like top three shows I've ever played like in my life wow. it felt like just and I mean that like I'm not saying that like I played the best I've ever played but just the feeling in the room just the atmosphere the way the like the venue took care of us like 
Mike sitting in with us meant so much to me. And it was just like, you know, we'd been talking about it for months and it, it finally came to fruition. Like, I don't know, everything sort of worked out, you know, and the crowd was so good to go. And uh, I admit I like haven't listened to the whole thing, but my uh, my dear, dear friend, producer, confidant, you know, mixing engineer extraordinaire, his name is Gabe Monroe, who is, he wasn't on the tour, but he, you know, he and I write almost all of my music together. He produced my record. Like he's, you know, we sit in a room and like write music together all the time. And I just trust him with my life. And he mixed the show. I listened to like two or three of the tunes and I was like, holy shit, like you fucking nailed it. You know what I mean? Like I did. <laughs> yeah. and, and I was like, all right, it's going up. Like that's, that's it. So, you know, those that I get kind of uh, like, I love to listen back, but I also don't love to listen back because I want to remember it like through my memory of being there. You know what I mean? And I'm yeah, you like, don't want to skew yeah. it. You don't want to, you don't want to change that perception of what it was like to be there. Totally. Cause it was so special and so, so fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm on cloud nine about that one. And just, you know, it just continued from there. It was insane. We sold out Portsmouth on a Wednesday. We sold out Portland on a Thursday, you know, Connecticut, DC. Like it just, it was so, so crazy and so fun for us. And, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for the whole thing crazy shit well i'm so i'm so excited you had a great tour uh and so without further ado i think we should start our conversation because i think we're veering into the direction i want to talk about to get started to get comfortable get to know each other i've got a couple icebreaker questions just to have a little fun so the first one is you're at a show you're at a concert and the bassist just drops out he's off the stage and rather than stepping to the microphone and saying is there a doctor in the house <laughs> the band asks, is is there a bassist in the house what show are you at where you're able to step up on the stage and fill those shoes? Oh my God. Yo, that's a great question. I mean, uh, you know, an Aerosmith show that oh. I'm up there, I'm up there and I'm like, hell motherfucking. Yeah. I know all these songs. Oh, got that's to, awesome. you know? Let's do that. Or like, you know, black Sabbath reunion. I'm good to go. Yes. Like put me in there, put me in there. That would be incredible. Uh, Janet Jackson. Fucking hey, oh. I'll be right up. I'll be right up. That's uh, I was not expecting the Aerosmith answer, and it completely floored me, and I love it. That's a fantastic answer. And, you know, there's something about it. There's something about it. You know, those are like timeless, like, you know, rock yes. and roll tunes baked into my DNA, you know? So, uh, yes. I mean, that I feel like that would be, I would be like the best suited to that. There would probably be other, other gigs where I would be like, you know, maybe semi more yeah. stoked, but, but that's, I mean, God, I'd be stoked as shit. Let's not lie. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going with that. We're going with that. I love it. That's incredible. Okay. So question number two, on a scale of one to 10, how great is the baseline and feel good incorporated by the gorillas? Oh, it's a 14. I mean, come on. I mean, there's never been a better use of the minor scale. Am I right? I don't know. That's uh, it's very, 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 very spectacular and excellent. And talk about I mean, that song came out when I was in like fourth or fifth grade, you know, and it was like it was like the get lucky of that yes. summer. That <laughs> That's the perfect way to describe it. <laughs> meaning that you couldn't walk into a bodega or a grocery store or a fucking, you know, taxi cab without hearing. Like that was just, it was part, you know, I love shit. Like sometimes, I, I don't know, I remember as a kid like being like, you know, it'd be really amazing if just like speaker stacks exploded from out of the pavement that I walk on. And everywhere I went was just like, 
you know, there was like a musical element where like, you know, I walk down the street and it's just like a song playing at all times, you know, and it just followed me. And honestly, Feel Good Inc. was that in like 2004 or whatever. And uh, Feel Good, I mean, God, so great. we could talk about this all day. I love it more than life itself. It's absolutely unbelievable. And to, including, you know, don't stop. Get it. Yes. No, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Come on now. Ridiculous. Anything Damon Albarn touches is uh, turns to gold. So he struck gold with that, struck gold with Blur. And I mean, like, that's not even talking about like kids with guns or like any of the other just absolute groove worthy jams that the gorillas. Oh, I mean, ridiculous. oh my gosh. I mean, it's insane. That's, I, was, I saw Blue to Tiger, another bass player. She was doing a show and she played that song. And it was, I mean, as a younger audience and they just absolutely lost their mind. I was like, how do you kids know this song? This song came out like, four years before you were even born like what's going on here it's a classic it's a timeless classic it's a timeless classic and it's and it's lived on and uh you know she's very wise to, to keep that shit alive you know it came out in 2005 sorry i just looked it up sorry good call good call okay so we'll move on well question number three so because i know you love this band uh and we'll talk a little bit more about them in a little while but if a member of the allman brothers band approached you past or present approached you to do a duet album who would you want it to be oh wow my guy, that is some deep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we gotta probably throw it up for Brother Dwayne, the Sky Dog in the Sky. Like, come on. I mean, you know, I, it would be the honor of my lifetime in any regard. And uh, you know, but Dwayne, Dwayne, there's something so magical. I mean, there's something magical about each and every member, past and present, honestly. Uh, but Dwayne, you know, gone too soon. His brother carried the legacy forward, you know, for years and years and years. But I don't know, just there's something so incredible about Dwayne. And, you know, you know, the music that Dwayne and Aretha made together, you know, is beyond. And I don't know, the Dwayne Allman anthology, like this compilation, like as a kid, that really blew me away. And I was um, just about to comment on that. That is that's one of the greatest compilation albums out there, in my opinion. It's It's so good. It's crazy. Yeah, I think he's got to be the answer. And, you know, listen, if Barry Oakley called me, I'd be like, Barry, what are we doing? Let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's do it right now. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. So fourth question. So I know you're a big live music fanatic. So is there any show that you had to skip for any number of reasons that still haunt you to this day that you f- are filled with regret just at the very thought of it? Well, you know, you know, it's why I, I say this often because, you know, especially, you know, this year is the first year I have to miss all of the fish MSG uh, shows because I have other gigs. I've definitely missed like, you know, half of them before or, or like, you know, I've made it to one, but had to skip the next three or whatever it that You know, I always say, you know, you'd always rather be, playing than you know attending and that's just the matter of fact when you know players got to play like it's a real thing no matter how big of a fan of a band i am it's always if i'm if i'm missing a concert because i'm playing a concert that's a fucking huge win in my book you know so people ask because they know i'm a huge whatever fan of tons of music like oh you know you're gonna be okay missing these shows i'm like fuck yeah i'm gonna be okay missing these shows i'm playing shows dude that's my like raison d'etre you know what i mean it's a huge thing i don't other than that i mean i don't really nothing haunts me no no i don't I, and i don't really believe in i don't i'm not much of a fomo 
person that's not in my lexicon at all because wherever you are is exactly where you need to be and i've always operated like that you know no no regrets no fomo you just gotta you know when you're forging your own path you gotta forge your own path and you gotta be you know rock solid about that and there's no amount of people say oh it was so great whatever it's like well you know even if i was sitting on my ass like that was great too you know what i mean like i don't know i uh, i sort of don't subscribe to most of that so yeah no honestly i've been uh i've i've none of it none of it has haunted me i've done incredibly well i've seen so much live music and i've played so much live music i mean it i you know blessed like doesn't cover it it's absurd and i'm so grateful for every minute of all of it so yeah i'm feeling pretty good about all that i gotta say well, I've got to I've got to refute your claim because I have Please. a major regret. I missed your concert. Oh. I, it was at Bonnaroo this year. You were playing right smack dab between my two favorite bands, and I had plenty oh of time God. to jump over and see you. But I was like, no, I'm going to take a break and catch a breath before I go see King Gizzard. You weren't on my radar yet, and when I found out you were playing there, like months later, I've <laughs> absolutely hated myself ever since then, and I'm so oh. disappointed that I did not come see you at that show. So major regrets, major regrets. I was sitting in that field, drinking a lemonade, eating some chicken tenders instead of seeing you. And I regret it to this day. And I will forever regret it until you come to Memphis and I get to see you then. And then we'll make up for that. So that'll be okay. I will come in hot to Memphis. We will will definitely make up for it. It's okay. And that's very sweet of you. Oh my God. That was, that was, you know, I said the Nectars was like top three. Like, you know, Bonnaroo was like, you know, maybe top two or one. Or, oh, you know, don't rub whatever. it in. Don't rub Not it in like that. Worse. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just for me personally, like I'm not even saying you would have felt that way about it, but like just, you know, on a personal level, I was just like absolutely flabbergasted that I was doing that, you know, and just like the, yeah, it was, it was fucked up, but don't even sweat, <laughs> my dude, do not sweat. I'm coming in hot to Memphis. We'll make up for it. We'll have a Bonnaroo of our own. Okay. So this is the last icebreaker question and it's a good segue into our conversation today. So which came first, your love of seeing live music or your love of playing? live music it's a great question let's think about that for a second i feel like they they both sort of influenced each other in my life you know what i mean and they and they started kind of at the exact same time i definitely like when i first started picking up a guitar which was like in at recess in eighth grade you know that was definitely like i was seeing live music before then but it all ramped up and snowballed very, very quickly, like right around then in like a very intense kind of, you know, permanent (laughs) way, you know? So it's hard to say. They both definitely influenced each other. And like, you know, I attribute my love of of both to to doing both in, in such intense ways from such a young age, you know? And I definitely... I loved to play from the very, very beginning, but obviously when I was, when I was playing and I was in eighth grade and playing around New York city and whatever, I was not exactly like, you know, playing to ravenous audiences. It was like, you know, my band was basically strong arming uh, promoters and fooling them into letting us play, you know, us and our, you know, parents would come and see us on a Wednesday night or whatever, you know, and like a few friends who could God willing get into the 21 plus bar we would be playing at or whatever, you know? So, I mean, back then I was super 
I don't know, affected by the the grandeur of a lot of the live music experiences that I got to see. And I wouldn't have ever dreamed that I could play on a stage. You know, if, if my eighth grade self could see what I've done now, they'd, like I'd be losing my mind. And I am losing my mind, like, you know, because I am, I am that kid, like still to this day, it's crazy. And I mean, I, I would say they both came around the same time. It's been a life of exploring both. And I feel like, you know, every time I go see live music, it's, it's you know, and obviously it's a huge release and I'm dancing and I'm, I'm enjoying and whatever, whatever. But also, I mean, if not mostly, it's like a clinic for me. Like I'm watching, I'm observing, how are they putting on this show? What makes this act special? What makes this act not special? You know, what is studying people's techniques and you know that could go so far beyond like you know seeing virtuosic players it can be like you know why why is this front person compelling I don't know it's it's an interesting thing and then sometimes I'm at shows and like you know I'm like tapping the BPM into my phone of whatever song because I'm seeing how the crowd's reacting I'm like oh my mm-hmm. god like that's really interesting and I don't know it's uh it's a very nerdy. Well, so I mean, does that because this is your career and your job, does that take away from your enjoyment when you go see a band live now? If you're paying so much attention to like how the crowd is reacting rather than just being immersed in the show, does that take away from it? I don't think so. I mean, to me, I've I don't know, I've always sort of re- related to it in that way just because when you're when you're a musician like I don't know, I feel like I'm I'm always just trying to see what other musicians are doing and like, you know, relate to them or not relate to that. You know what I mean? Or just like try to kind of grasp the whole picture of what's at play. And I don't know, that's how I've enjoyed live music for so long. You know what I mean? And I'm always like interested in the behind the scenes element of it. And, you know, it's amazing to watch somebody who's put in their hundred thousand hours and what they do with their 90 minutes on stage. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's part of the enjoyment of it. And, uh, just part of it for me and it's an interesting it's an interesting thing i mean i i enjoy going to see live music so 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 much but i always would rather be playing it just because that's what ignites me you know what i mean like now at this point it's just like that is i've been so lucky to still be in the game like you know i really i think of myself as like you know it's like when you play blackjack or something for me it's like how long can you stay at the table you know it's not it's not about like oh my god and for me, I'm a total just, you know, junkie for this. I just keep on like, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm still in the game. I still have a gig like, wow. You know what I mean? Every time I look at the calendar and there are more gigs, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you're still in it. You're still in it. I don't know. It's really it's just a, a love of the game, you know, and a love of the feeling of being up there and performing for people, which I mean, you know, my mother would tell you if she was here, you know, I've she remembers me being like three years old and like singing in taxi cabs for like the taxi drivers and like in you know I grew up in New York City like you know the elevator was such a huge place of performance for me because people were like trapped with you for like you know (laughs) so you know that's when you put on your little song and dance routine for the people in the elevator or you're cracking jokes or like whatever you know my mom's like dude taxi cabs and elevators those were your first stages you know (laughs) it's really really true it's just baked into me, I guess. I don't know. Um, I love it. I love it more than anything. I mean, it sounds like so much of this happened in your kind of like early formative years. How much of this passion do you attribute to just kind of fulfilling those dreams of your youth almost? I mean, that's, I think about like, you know, now that I'm 33 years old, I would love to go tell 16 year old Lance, like, Hey man, you've got tickets to see Bruce Springsteen next year. Or like, 
you've seen this band X number of times. Like, I, I just think about how thrilled he would be to hear about all these stories. Like how much of the, your like career now do you think is just a fulfillment of your youth? I, like basically like a hundred percent of it, you know, in the sense of like youthful me and, and today's me is like in, inextricably linked, you know, that's why I feel like I have just stayed 15 in so many ways, you know, because that's just, like, I think about what I valued then and I think about what I value now and it's pretty much identical. I mean, obviously some things have changed a little bit, but like, I'm still that kid who is just geeked, geeked, geeked to be able to play and to be able to take in these insane experiences. And like, you know, I still feel like a little kid when I get on stage that I am just like, you know, bounding with enthusiasm for it. You know, I like literally can't help it. So it's less of like a, a youthful, like, or a fulfillment of like youthful dreams so much as that, like, I really just feel like I, I haven't changed. You know, like the, which is just, I mean, it's, it's what it is, but I don't know. I, I feel like 15 is the year where like everything sort of clicked for me and I'm just doing the exact same thing, but on sort of uh, elevated level from when I was that mm -hmm. age and, and with, you know, incredible people behind me and, you know, forming my own thing and, and all of those things. But I definitely, I, I feel like the same inquisitive kid that just gets absolutely like so excited when I learn a new riff or so excited when I write a new riff and, you know, in rehearsal when we're like figuring things out and just like, you know, it's like a big puzzle and I'm there just like gushing with, you know, I excitement when things start to click, you know, and it's just an amazing, it's an amazing feeling. It's just, to me, it's like, uh, what do they say? It's be childlike, not childish. I feel that I'm just a super exuberant grown child. <laughs> That's like, I'm trapped in that. I'm definitely trapped in that. And I don't really aspire to get out of it. Like if that stops, I'll become an investment banker, man. I was, there's, yeah. there's definitely, well, don't do that. There, no, that would be terrible. But like, you know what I mean? If I didn't, if I didn't love this so much, I'd stop doing it, mm -hmm. you know, yesterday. Like it's a hard, it's hard. It doesn't come easy. It, there's no guarantees. There's no job security. There's no health insurance. There's fucking, there's a lot of things to really not like about it. If you don't absolutely get, ridiculously geeked over it the way I do. You know what I mean? I really mean that. I don't, I mean, an investment banker fucking kill me, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I would definitely, yeah. I would, you'd want to make some money or do something that like, you know, if it loses the magic, then then that's it. That's what I'm saying. Magic is everything in this. Well, so, I mean, you talking about just all the hardships of being a touring musician. I mean, how is it to take the stage when you are feeling under the weather. You've just traveled 16 hours by van to this gig and it may not have sold well. How do you get up on stage and just find that magic again? Is it, I mean, is it just come natural to you or do you have to pump yourself up to get there? It's a great question. I mean, you know, that's the other thing is that we're, we're all human in this, mm -hmm. you know, and there are no guarantees that you can stay healthy or that your shows will sell well, or that, you know, you won't, we had a snafu, where, you know, we lost the van keys the other night. And by that, I mean, a member of the opening band accidentally took my lighting guy's jacket, mistaking it for his, and that jacket had the van keys in them. So next thing you know, it's 3.30 in the morning, the GM of the club's calling everybody. Long story short, we had to stay up basically all night <laughs> and figure this out. And then at 4 a.m., my lighting guy goes back to the club and packs the gear 
by himself basically. And, but that was the type of thing where I'm just like, oh my God, like I'm going to set my alarm for 8am and hope for the best. And hopefully we can get from Connecticut to DC. Like, anyway, that's just an anecdote of like something that like went wrong on this last tour. That was like difficult to, I don't know. There was a moment there where I was like, oh my God, are we going to have to cancel DC? Cause we won't have a van. Cause we won't like, how are we going to get our gear to anyway? It was just a crazy thing, but I know it sounds corny and it's not necessarily true. Cause I mean, I have, I've played shows with a one Oh four fever and I've played shows on no sleep feeling like absolute hell, crazy taking three flights to get to the place that I need to get to and jet lag and just general insanity. I, for the most part, I have yet to experience a time where it's that like, I'm lucky to do these gigs that are, you know, when it's your name, Mm-hmm. you feel differently about it. Like, I'm sure if I was doing some sort of thankless, you know, hired gun gig where you don't feel so impassioned by every second that you get to do it, I'd probably be like, oh my God, like I really got to dig deep here. I really got to dig deep here to make this happen and to get myself stoked. But playing both my music and Marco Benevento's music, where of course in Marco Benevento's band, I'm a hired gun. There's no way around that, but I still... I feel so close to the music and so, you know, like a very kind of permanent presence in the band because, I mean, I've been in it for six years, which is incredible and feel very close to his music. So, of course, I'm a hired gun, but like, I love it so, so, so much. And it's very, very special to me. So, like, I've never had to dig that deep. Once I've gotten on stage and I'm hearing these songs that I love and playing these songs that I wrote or otherwise, like the music almost always carries me through which is amazing and uh playing when you're sick is horrible playing when you're exhausted is not fun it's you know these things are tough and it's you know anybody will tell you you know the hard part about being a touring musician isn't your time on stage it's your time the 20 hours of the day or rather the 22 hours of the day where you're not on stage is the hard part you know what i mean so like yeah there are definitely times where i haven't slept for (laughs) two days, three days, or like haven't slept well for a prolonged period of time. And during the day, I'm a mess and I need to hibernate. Like, you know, I've fallen asleep in so many green rooms curled up on a shitty couch where, you know, nobody should be lying down on this couch, you know, (laughs) (laughs) had you know, it's horrible, but like horrible days. But honestly, like it's all, we talked about it actually on this last tour. It was just like, you have these ebbs and even when you're perfectly healthy and everything's going well, right. You have these ebbs and flows in energy that, you know, you can wake up super rested, whatever, drink a shit ton of coffee at the diner with the guys before hitting the road. We're all laughing, 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 like having a great time. And then we have a four hour drive. And at the end of the four hour drive, you have to load in and then your energy just dips and you're like, Oh God, like I am exhausted. And you sort of have to muscle through that. There's a moment there where you need to shut your eyes in the green room before or after sound check or whatever, like whenever you can get it in, like you just got to go with that. And it's all for the purpose of preserving yourself and giving the best version of yourself for the show, which is intense. But all, you know, I'll say, I'll say all of that is definitely true. But at the end of the day, like health is health and people are people. And that's the most important thing that's beyond when we, when we like, we're figuring out the van keys and stuff, we were putting in perspective for each other. It's like, we're not burned out on the side of the road. Like we didn't crash. We didn't hit black ice. This is nothing compared to the trials and tribulations and fucking 
deaths and fucking horrible shit that can happen to you out here, which is a real humbling thought and a real thing, you know, like, mm. like Cliff Burton, one of my favorite bassists of all time died yeah. on the road because the tour bus hit black ice. Like that's mm-hmm. a fucking horrible, horrible thing to, to live with and to know that like, that's a, that's a real thing. So at the end of the day, like, I always, you know, you never want to get to a place where you're you're burned out, falling asleep at the wheel, fucked up in any number of ways. I can talk all day about how much the show means to me and how much the music will carry you through anything, but it won't carry you through anything. Yeah. If you're not well, that's it. You have to put your wellness first. And I really believe in that and definitely in booking my tours, like looking at the schedule, I'm always making sure like, is that too long? Is that not too long? Will my crew be okay? Will the boys be okay? Like, is everybody going to be able to muscle through this? Because it's a lot of work and it's not easy Mm -hmm. when you're my size and when you're in a van as opposed Mm -hmm. to a bus and we're doing the driving ourselves and waking up every day and driving three, four, five, six, seven hours. And then you know, and then your day starts, you know what I mean? And then you load in and then you sound check and then you have dinner and then you wait for another few hours and then you play your rock show. Like I'm rambling for sure, but that's, uh, no, you're covering it really well though. Thank you. <laughs> There's tons of questions that have come through my mind, but the one I want to ask is going back to one of the icebreakers about how you kind of discovered playing live and seeing live music and the appreciation that intermingled between the two of them. Does how much perspective has it given you then to be a touring musician and talking about these hardships when you go see a, a band now to realize, like you're saying, the 22 other hours that were put in for the band on the stage? How much how much does that change your perspective of seeing live music? Oh my God, so much, so much. And just like people, I have friends in bands who have been in bands for 40 years, you know what I mean? And like I I look at them and I respect them so, so much. And it's arena level theater level club level whatever it may be if you've done this at any of those levels for that long you have seen some shit you have fucking dealt with some insane i don't know it's it's a really it's a humbling thing to sort of you know i i look at some of my my friends slash heroes and i'm like wow you know not only have you written all of this music in these years that you guys have been together but you have muscled your way through it's an insane life it is crazy out there without a doubt there's no handbook for it too you're learning on the fly and it's like an oral tradition in so many ways you learn from people who have done it before you and and at a higher level than you or whatever and it's brought a huge level of understanding and just respect for anybody who's been in the game that long and done it with any level of success it's absolutely mind-boggling and amazing to see you know and i just love talking to people who have done it for so long and people are so willing to share road stories trials tribulations triumphs whatever it is you know and it's uh it's, it's a crazy thing and but we have such a nice kind of tight-knit community of people who are are willing to share and you know willing to sort of usher in new blood who are just as hungry for it as they were when they were my mm-hmm. age you know or whatever it is and it's uh it's it's incredible it's really incredible so no i'm i'm just thrilled to kind of be along for the ride just like so many of my heroes have been along for the ride for so long it's crazy 
you know, you're talking about the community. That was one of the things I was kind of curious about. I, I know you're friends with the guys in Fish as well as like, from what I've seen of you, you've been very embraced by the jam band community as a whole. Was that ever your intentions of being just like a jam band or being in that community? Or is it just kind of happened naturally? Was that kind of ever your intention or is it just kind of happened naturally? You know, it's a great question. I mean, it definitely sort of has happened naturally. And of course, starting from Marco Benevento's band, you know, that sort of ushered in or rather cemented. Like I was already a fan of all that music, but that sort of, even though if you ask Marco, Marco would definitely tell you he's not writing jam band music and isn't a jam band himself, which I would agree with. Though the jam community, we always say like, you know, has ears broader than I would argue any other subsection of a musical community. The jam folks, if you're heavy, you're embraced. If you're jazzy, you're embraced. If you're like me and you're writing indie pop rock songs drenched in psychedelia that maybe once in a while you play for 13 minutes, you know, yeah. God willing, like people, people get that. And I started out as such a huge fan of, of course, of Fish and so much jam band music, but also so many other things. And like, I'm such a sponge for all these things that I love. And when I write, you know, some of my things are a little more heady and some of them are a little more heavy and some of them are three minute, you know, indie pop rock songs. It's just like, I definitely never set out being like, I am going to be in the jam sphere. You know what I mean? No, yeah. not for one second. But I'm honestly, I'm so grateful to to have a community in that way. For me, I mean, I am thrilled for every minute that the jam community like sees what I'm doing and gets it and likes it and recognizes it. Because honestly, it's true. Like if you come to my show, a lot of it is it's an indie rock show for, you know, all intents and purposes. And of course, there are other times where we stretch out and we improvise quite a bit and whatever. But I mean, I'm an amalgamation of all these things that have sort of, you know, carried me through these years. And I'm grateful that the jam fans sort of have these wide ears and real appreciation for so much music. I always say my two favorite bands, Fish and Ween, they, <laughs> the sphere of musical output, or rather the extents, if you think about Carini, and then you think about Divided Sky, and then you think about Big Black Free Creatures from Mars, and then you think about Gumbo. I I'm literally just spitballing here, but think about really, if you zoom in on any of these pieces of music and think like, wow, all right, well, this is orchestral music. This is reggae. This is punk rock. This is metal. <laughs> yeah, and I kid, but like at the end of the day, it's all fish, right? And I feel the same way about Ween. You know, you're looking at Ween, you have Pollo Asado, you have the Grobe, you have Stroker Ace, you have, you know, Mr. Won't You Please Help My Pony, you have Freedom of 76. I'm just spitballing here, but like, you know, I could do the exact same thing with that band. And to me, Beck is pretty much my favorite artist of all time with Gun in My Head in a lot of ways. And same, same spiel I would give about him. What I strive for more than anything is I want whatever I write to come through as Karina music. Yeah. And of course, it's amazing to be embraced by any community and any fan base. But more than anything, I just want it to come through and be filtered out as something that sounds recognizable as my own, as those bands and those things that, you know, I just mentioned do. It's a Miles Davis quote, right? The hardest thing in music is to sound like yourself. 
And that's fucking a lifelong, lifelong goal is to continue to create music that just, you know, my song plants, it's an instrumental, right? Like, you know, whatever. And my song elevator is not, and I, I have lots of things, but like that run the gamut in terms of style and whatnot. But I hope through making records and playing and all these things to, at the end of the day, come out with something that just sounds like me. As a musician, how important do you think it is to have an appreciation of all types of music, you know, to see Fish on a Monday night, to see Slayer on a Tuesday, Taylor Swift on a Wednesday, and then Snoop Dogg on a Thursday? How important is it to have that appreciation? I mean, that sounds like the best week ever for me. <laughs> That's what I, I was mean, thinking too. I was like, can yeah. I go to this? I was like, I'd like that to be my week. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm not here to preach, but for me, it's it's everything. It doesn't have to be everything for everybody because nothing is. And and honestly, I mean, the other, the flip side of what I'm saying, which is really fucking true. And I think about often, it's like, you know, Karina, like if you were more, if you were more just focused on being one thing and doing one thing well <laughs> or something, like, I don't know what that exactly means, but like, I sometimes I very much admire people who can do a very distilled one thing really well so maybe <laughs> my having ears way too wide and being such a musical chameleon does me a disservice perhaps i don't know in terms of what my writing ends up coming out as and like what my output ends up being you know that said for me like life is more fun when you enjoy more things yes that's mm -hmm. what it's all about for me personally for me like you know to be able to share in the joy of music, not to sound like an asshole, but like really, like that's <laughs> that's the most important thing. So like for me to enjoy Slayer and enjoy Fish and enjoy Bach and enjoy Phoebe Bridgers and enjoy the Gorillas, that's everything. So I don't know. And I feel like for me personally, just the little bits that I pick up from all of these disparate artists, many of whom we haven't mentioned, it it builds a sort of rounded picture of the world through music which includes culturally and which includes so many intellectually and whatnot. And, and I, I don't know, it's, I think to be an enjoyer of super quote unquote blue collar music and white collar music, like kind of see it all and understand it and grapple with it and take from it what appeals to you and leave the rest for me. I love that. I really love that. I was listening to the newest goat album, but I was listening to it and it was, it was difficult for me. I'll admit it was not something that I just could easily digest. Sure. And I was telling my friend about it and he was like, well, I didn't like it. And I was like, yeah, I didn't love it either, but it challenged my perspective of music. It made me think through things differently. You know, it made me approach albums differently. And I think that's the benefit of listening to those kind of, I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to make you appreciate what you enjoy more because you've challenged yourself. You forced yourself into a hole that you said, well, okay, I have this album's 45 minutes. I'm going to give it that 45 minutes and we'll see what happens on the other side. And if you learn something, great. If not, you know, at least you tried it. You know, there's something sure. to be said about that. Definitely. And you never have to listen to it again if you don't let you know exactly. what I mean. Like, it's all good. It's all good. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, looking at these things on an anthropological level is always interesting, you know, where you're just like, oh my God. Like, and it's, I'm always fascinated by things that, catch on quickly and kind of seem to have blown up. What are 16 year olds finding super appealing about this and why? And not because I want to emulate it. I definitely don't want to emulate it, but I'm or you know, maybe I do, but I probably don't, but it's just interesting. It's just interesting. Just like any sort of kind of cultural phenomenon is interesting.
So is that why you worked Chase Long into your sets or just because it's an absolute <laughs> banger? That tune is a banger. I mean, unequivocal. You know, I was I just thought that tune was so, so great. And somebody three months ago was like, you know, you could cover Shays Long. And I was like, you're absolutely fucking right. I would destroy Shays Long. <laughs> and you do. So, but that's I mean, but that speaks to what you were talking about earlier, because I mean, like in that same set, you have Shays Long and you have Psycho Killer all within the same set. So, I mean, like, I think that speaks to your musical roundedness. You. And, you know, the day before did Pepper by the Butthole Surfers, you know, into Shays Long and then Genius of Love and then Daft Punk is playing in my house and like, you know, running the gamut between iconic 70s New York rock and roll mm-hmm. and 90s weirdos from Texas. And then, you know, Wet Leg is the hottest thing since sliced bread these days, which is which is really fun. And I don't know, I feel like having an appreciation of the decades and the best of what came through, you know what I mean? And, and playing LCD sound system, you know, we actually never played it on this tour, but because I wasn't like a hundred percent rock solid on it. And I just wanted to be rock solid on it. But we, you know, we play, obviously we played Daft Punk is playing in my house for a long time and tried to fit. I can change, you know, that tune into the set, which is the great, great fucking tune. But I don't know, like, again, LCD sound system, like what an anomaly of a great mm-hmm. band that kind of popped up post 90s, but has that sort of sensibility in a lot of ways and is obviously very electronic based, but with analog instruments and a oddball eccentric frontman who both does incredible singing and also sort of spoken word kind of rhythmic stuff. Whether LCD sound system popped up in the mid 2000s or in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s, it's timeless, incredible music. And I really I feel that way about Chase Long and Wet Leg. It's crazy. I'm like, wow, let's fucking go, ladies. Let's go. Like, I am going to cover your song because I fucking love it. And it's awesome. Just the way like I want to cover ESG and I want to cover like, I don't know, I, I want to cover Love Fool by the Cardigans and like so many things that I'm like turned on by like all this shit is just super great regardless of uh epoch or type or whatever it might be and uh i'm pretty open i'm pretty open but i'm really glad we started working in shades long to the set (laughs) when you're writing music how conscious are you of just creating that timelessness to the songs is it something that you care about or is it just like hey let's just write what feels good you know I, i never like when i do write I never approach it with a sort of like, I'm going to write this song and make it timeless, or I'm going to write this song and hope it gets nominated for a fucking Grammy or like, you know what I mean? That's a stupid example, but I'm just saying like, I would never write for the purpose of accolades or adoration in that sort of way. You know what I mean? Like, cause, cause that just, even if that's what you want in your heart of hearts, it, if you come at it in that perspective, and for me, for me personally, I have musician friends who feel very differently. And they're like, you know, how do I write a Grammy nominated album in the next four months? Like, I'm like, wow, that is such a crazy way of thinking about it to me. Yeah. To me, I don't do this for <laughs> those reasons. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And of course, do I want to make timeless music? Of course, I want to make timeless music. But if I sit here and say, hey, Karina, how do you make a timeless song today? I don't know that I'll come out with one, but if I just sort of chip chip away the stone 
write what comes naturally, write what comes out. When I work with my producer, Gabe, there are definitely, there are times where I call it vibe theft, where, you know, you're listening mm -hmm. to a tune and you're like, oh my God, okay, like, let's hear what they're doing here. Like, what do we like about this? We like the tempo. We like the key. We like this melody that comes on top of this sort of groove, like all of those things, you know, and then try to emulate, but not steal, obviously, but like kind of take a vibe and run with it. And sometimes I like to uh, think like, oh, my God, like, OK, like you take this song. What would happen if you continued writing that song? What would be the next section in Shay's Long? There are like three parts of that song. Like, what if there was a fourth? What would it be? And then that becomes a whole other unrecognizable situation. So my answer to your question, long-winded, is would I like to write timeless music? Fuck yeah. Do I conceive of it that way? Absolutely not. I never set out to do that. I set out to be as authentic and make music that, you know, is as fun for me as I hope would translate to other people hope for the best, hope that people like it. You know, it's one of those things like, you know, I think everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be understood more than anything. And we're talking not just musicians, just people, human nature, like people want to be recognized. People want to be understood by other people. And like in that, that's such a deep seated, like human desire, of course. But when it comes to art and taste and people just being subjective creatures when it comes to all of this, you, you will drive yourself crazy trying to please everybody and trying to make music that appeals to all. And like, that's just a matter of fact, and that's a matter of the game. So once you can let go of that desire to make music that checks every single person on the universe's box, because you're not going to, it's not going to work. Even, you know, Thriller didn't do that. Like there are people who hate the things that I think are the greatest to ever grace the planet. So once you once you drop that, then you can start making music that appeals to you, that sounds authentic to you. And if it, I'm the one who has to get on stage and perform the shit. If I'm getting up there and performing it and it looks ridiculous because I wrote something that isn't authentic to me, that's not going to be great, even if it's a great timeless song. I'm not going to get on stage and, you know, play Carly Simon tunes, even though I think they're timeless <laughs> and amazing. But that's her and she's fucking amazing. Like, it's one of those things where you know thyself, you kind of commit to the vibe of just being unapologetically yourself and you hope for the best and hope some people like it. You saying that has made me wonder about artists that are 10, 20 years into their career and they have completely sworn off their first album because they are tired of playing the songs just for any number of reasons. Where does that come in to things like this? I mean, because, you know, I would argue that they were being true to themselves when they wrote that album, but, you know, then they grow tired of the songs and don't want to play them anymore. What do you think? What do you think about that? I think it's really interesting. And the other thing that you're absolutely right, that I feel like my career has been not long enough yet for me to see this in myself, but people change, people grow. Like you see these bands, I don't know. I'm thinking about thrash metal because I love thrash metal, but I'm thinking about bands like that were writing tunes in their dorm rooms or whatever, and that are super unaligned with the current versions of themselves. And, you know, I feel like everybody has to, you know, have the kind of grace and space internally and externally to change and evolve and you know that's that's part of existence as well so i think uh, i think that's totally 
valid in lots of ways. I do think a lot of times some of that stuff is very frustrating from a fan's point of view, where a lot of times that stuff is there's there's sort of an intrinsic kind of magic when you're young and dumb and don't and haven't fully formed your sound yet to me to Mm -hmm. me i think that's and a lot of people disagree with me and they're just like oh you know radiohead wasn't good until okay computer like yeah (laughs) the bens and pablo honey they weren't you know they hadn't found their sound yet i'm like i couldn't disagree more that shit is fucking amazing to each his own but that's that's definitely my take on that and from a fan's perspective you kind of are like come on guys get over yourself and like Mm -hmm. play the early shit play the hits it's what we love but I don't know. I, I feel like if you're an artist, you have the right to do whatever the fuck you want. Like, that's why we do this. Remember all the struggle, the strife, the terrible parts that go along with it? The good part is that you are your own fucking person and you can do literally as much or as little as you desire. <laughs> so that's so what you're saying is in 40 years when you're writing your Neil Young Monsanto album and everybody just wants to hear the needle and the damage done, but he's playing this 14 minute song that nobody's even heard. That's going to be you in 40 years is you're going to be playing the 14 minute Monsanto songs instead of elevator and plants. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to have full, like if, if I want to do that, this is me fucking Karina in her twenties talking to Karina in her sixties, right? Like Karina, you, you know, you should probably play plants for the people because that's probably what they want to hear. But, if you just want to do whatever, you know, weird ass thing that you want to do as a kooky 60 year old bass player, <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> to do that. Cause that's in your purview, man. It's like the one, the one thing we get to control as artists, yeah. of course. And by the way, you have fucking, I can only imagine if I have this, at the like, you know, my low level that I'm at, like you can only imagine you get a little bit of success mm-hmm. and you have fucking thousands of people barking in your ear about what you should do and how you should Mm. be and what you should look like and what you should play and like uh, that gets tiresome and horrible and annoying as fuck but at the end of the day you know you're the one traveling yeah you're the one writing you're the one performing and you can say fuck off to absolutely everybody which is difficult but you can you know what i mean that's one thing you can control so so as we kind of start to wrap up I got to ask, I know you've been asked a billion times and you're going to hate me the second I say it and you already know it's coming. Where, where's the debut album at? Where, where's where's that first album at? I can't wait for it. Where's it at? Oh, my dude. Well, it's it's done. Oh, oh, it's beyond done. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so many of those two. I know you listened to Live at Nectar's, right? So yes. so many of those tunes are are on there. I was just like, you know what? Like this tour, we're road testing these songs. We're trying it out. Like we're trying to feel you got to feel out these tunes like and I for so long I was so cagey about so much of it and I was holding it tight to my chest and like not wanting to sort of spill the beans or I don't know just like wanted to be overly protective about it and I was like no all my favorite bands don't do that I I want to kind of put them out there and whatnot and see what happens and try them out for the people you know and try them out for ourselves and the band and to get a good handle on them before the shit really comes out and can't talk too much about it, but I'll just say if it's not out by May, I'll be wildly frustrated. And I would say first, first or second quarter of next year, it'll be out. That's good to know. Well, so that's how now you're going to send me on another rabbit trail of questions. How does it go? If you've got the album done and you're road testing the songs, do you have, are you like, crap, should we go back in the studio and rework that one part? Or how, how is that going for you playing them live then? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, you know, honestly, the thought crosses my mind on a couple of the tunes and some of them like from Live and Nectar's, I was like, wow, like that instrumentation, 
that is dang like is there's a lot of stuff I, I don't know there's there's a lot of things that change and evolve and whatnot but honestly I'll tell you right now, I fell so in love with the recordings on this record. I'm deeply, deeply in bed with every single recording on this record that to me, it's just like, I I mean, it's my first, it's my first fucking record. You know, it's so special to me. I'm so waited this long with trying to put it out in the best way possible in the way that, you know, will make me happiest and will reach the most amount of years and will be sort of, I don't know, it's a very complicated thing these days. It's like, how do you do it? Label, distro, do it yourself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's weighing a ton of options. I have a fantastic management team. And we have decided on lots of things that I won't spoil here on this podcast. But it's just one of those things. You can only come out swinging for the first time once, you know, with your Mm -hmm. first thing and just wanting to make it so special. And to me, I, I don't know, it's not to hype it too much, but these recordings are so special to me. And I'm so excited for people to hear them that no, when I was playing them live, it was more just like, oh my God, yay bands. Like we got this shit. Like it's less, <laughs> it was less like, it was less like, oh my God, we got to go back in the studio and like rework this shit. It was more like, oh my God, like the band, like we all rose to the occasion and like could translate the shit that we did in the studio to the live setting with so much you know instrumentation on the record that is hard to kind of bring to the stage when you're a three-piece and i always i'm writing music larger than the sum of our parts all the time because i don't want to be limited by that and we just work it out we figure it out we find ways to make it all kind of sound as lush and thick and full as a power trio can that's the math. That is the, that's the answer right there. Yeah, no. Well, that's, I, I can't think of a better place to stop, even though I have like a billion more questions and I feel like I could talk to you for like hours. So I feel like this is a great spot to stop. That was fantastic. I cannot wait to hear your debut album and I'm going to play it over and over and over and tell all my friends about it. I'm so excited. Aww. So Karina, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for talking. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Lance. This is amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for asking such fun and dope questions. And I really appreciate <laughs> you taking the time and, and thinking about all this. I really, really do. Thanks for listening to another episode of yesterday's concert thoughts, similar experiences, disagree let us know on twitter instagram and even tiktok or you can email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com if you're feeling kind give us a review on apple podcast otherwise until next time give us a subscribe check out our website yesterdaysconcert.com and most importantly take care of your shoes Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought I'd care about gardening until I bought a house in the suburbs. But now I find myself in conversations about liquid fertilizer, and I wonder, am I the fertilizer guy now? (laughs) No, no way. Everyone knows the ratio between phosphorus and nitrogen, right? Yeah, I'm still totally cool. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 